0: Welcome to The Mind Killer, the rationalist brain on politics. Today, we're going to be talking about the George Floyd killing and subsequent protests. Uh, As always, we're going to cover some happy news, and then we'll go to troop deployments. But we're going to start out with feedback from our last episode. Eniash, do you have a piece of feedback for us?
1: I do indeed. Uh, The other David, not our David who goes by night of spring blooms right now on the Discord, disagreed with my troop deployment, where I said that the U.S. is losing their position as a world leader and that that's okay and people don't really uh, really have a problem with that. He linked this really interesting video from a guy who basically does political analysis for his job now and came out with a new book about it, and I'm going to link uh, that video as well. Let me read his comment first. Uh, David says, the other David says, uh, the reason a lot of countries have a good economy right now is because they don't actually have to pay to protect their own international trade. The U.S. does that by having naval supremacy. If the U.S. decides it doesn't want to do that job anymore because it's not receiving enough out of the job, then a lot of countries we consider to be powerhouses just fall apart. Uh, I'm going to pause right there uh, in his comment and jump in with the a, f- a few quick things from the video. This was an amazingly informative video and i haven't researched it myself too much but it it helped me understand colonialism and mercantilism a little bit more not to say that they were justified or in any way good but uh or it in back in the day the small countries in europe small you know relatively speaking in terms of total land area had trouble like securing all the resources they needed and then getting them to where they could be made into stuff and then getting that stuff over to where its ultimate destination was going to be. And a lot of colonialism and mercantilism was the process of integrating their supply chains to make sure they could get what they needed uh, and then get it where it needed to be, which, as we've seen very recently, when international trade broke down due to COVID-19 and we could not get our PPE from China because people just weren't shipping things from China, uh, there was a little bit of a scare. It only lasted for a few weeks. Things shook out okay, but... All of a sudden, people were saying, hey, uh, there, there might be a problem if the only place we can get these PPE we need for our medical professionals is from China, and China wants to keep them all for themselves because they also have an issue. Uh, so this is what the European countries were doing back then. They were all fighting with each with each other, and they didn't trust anyone else to sell them the stuff they would need when they needed it because there could be a war or a famine or any number of things. So they had this vertical intri- integration. yeah, vertical integration you know what I'm trying to say.
0: Vertical integration.
1: Thank you. Words aren't working today. Anyways, uh, then World War II came, uh, everything fell apart, and the U.S. had the only real Navy left, uh, to the point where nowadays the U.S. Navy is still uh, bigger than the navies of every other country in the world combined by a significant margin. I was surprised just how big the difference is. And the U.S. told all these other countries, look, as long as you support us uh, in the Cold War against the Soviets— you have free reign of the seats. No one's going to attack anyone else. There's going to be no more of this infighting, backbiting. Anyone can buy whatever resources they want from whoever wants to sell them, ship them wherever they need to be, and then ship them again after that. And that's sort of uh, been the deal for a long time. And it's been absolutely wonderful for the world economy. But lately, the U.S. has not had to fight a Cold War anymore. There is no more USSR. And over the past 20 to 30 years, people have been saying... What are we getting out of this deal where we protect the entire nation's trade and, or the entire world's trade? Uh, and more and more people are saying, we don't think we're getting enough. And specifically now with Trump as part of the backlash, has been withdrawing the international uh, support for for the international protection of all trade. And if the US isn't doing it, there's really no one else that can step in right now and do that. Any conflicts between countries, They could disrupt each other's supply chains drastically if someone doesn't, if the US specifically doesn't protect them, uh, which would mean that countries possibly will start trying to do this whole vertical integration of resources again. And in addition to that, uh, just free actors, pirates could also start threatening shipping lanes. So the entire economic order we have right now could be in for a major shakeup, is this guy's main argument.
0: Oh well, I think this uh, this point here seems to be a subset of the general point that a lot of the world is somewhat dependent on American military supremacy. Yes, um, and the not military. just naval, but air power, and even the threat of uh, just the the size of our military and the amount of damage we're capable of unleashing uh, seems to greatly surpass anyone else. And a lot of that leads to a lot of, uh, you know, a lot of peace in the world.
1: Yeah, the Pax Americana. Yeah. Um, not saying that's necessarily the best thing either, because we've also been using that in bad ways, but there were some good sides to it. Anyways, the other David goes on with the rest of this comment saying, China is doomed because they are an import-export economy and they need to bring in their food and energy from abroad. And they just don't have a deep sea Navy that could protect those shipments. Right now, they are racing to, com- racing to complete the Belt and Road Initiative, which would use highways to connect China over land all the way to Europe and the Middle East, as well as the String of Pearls, which is a series of military bases that China controls in foreign countries between China, the South Sea, the India Sea, and the Arabian Sea. If they can get all those projects done before the U.S. Withdraw- withdraws, they at least will have a chance of continuing with Addis. If they can't finish in time, I don't think China will be a unified country in 10 years. So, yeah, that's interesting and scary.
0: Yeah, I don't necessarily share the fears about China not being a unified country, mostly because I don't see this. I, I don't see America really stepping back that much from our protection of international trade. Uh, we're certainly reliant on trade with China. Almost as much as their reliance on tr- uh, our naval protection for their trade, so I don't see America really backing off too much about that responsibility that uh, we've assumed.
2: Yeah, and and I also want to say like the the argument is pretty sound, but it also does assume that if America pulled out of its role in securing international trade that there wouldn't be any replacement that comes up, and the, the gains from that trade are so enormous, and the profit potential from finding some other way to serve that need of secure shipping are so tremendous that I'm not completely convinced that we wouldn't figure out some way to do it. That doesn't involve a return of colonialism or a major disruption of the international order. I don't know what exactly that does look like, but um, it it seems like whoever does figure it out will have a pretty big paycheck coming. And so that's a, a pretty strong indicator that someone will at some point figure it out.
0: Yeah, that seems like one of those things that uh, if Trump throws a tantrum and decides to cancel, uh, it, you know, shipping protection, uh, that's one of the memos his advisors will conveniently lose.
1: I I really hope so. Yeah. Like four years ago, I would have not been nearly this worried, but with Trump in charge, anything can happen.
0: Oh, and, true.
1: And that's not good.
0: All right, should we move on? Yes, let's. Okay, Uh, our top story this week is the one that is pretty much the top story everywhere. Um, A man named George Floyd was killed by police in Minneapolis. There's a video of it that shows the officer's knee on his neck. He's protesting, saying he can't breathe, saying you're going to kill me. Uh, And he is later taken away in an ambulance and dies in the hospital. Um, this has sparked protests in Minneapolis, which have sparked protests around the country. Um, Minneapolis protests have uh, really escalated, and buildings have been lit on fire. Uh, riot police have been called in, and there's just a lot going on down there.
1: Ooh, you should tell them about the very best part. Oh, which part is that? The part where the, uh, the protesters took a police station and raised it to the ground.
0: Yes, that did happen. Um, yeah. It was third the. Third Precinct. Third Precinct in Minneapolis was. Yeah, burned to the ground.
1: The cops were on the roof trying to disperse the crowds with tear gas and flashbangs, and it just didn't work. The crowd broke in, and the cops had to be evac by helicopter, and the whole thing went down. And I. I don't know if this is a good feeling to have in the grand scheme of things, but I have a feeling of immense joy and pride and the fact that it is now very public knowledge that police precincts can't be taken and burned is great as well. Yeah. Yeah. And there's...
0: And there's really no even token justification for this. Um, The officers claimed that he was resisting arrest but there's surveillance video that shows that he wasn't. Um, There's actually one video that shows... And I can't tell if it was uh, Mr. Floyd or if it was the person taking the video, but somebody was uh, quoting uh, NWA's "Fuck the Police." Huh. Nice. And um, nice, but I mean, I, I you mean, say that yeah, to
2: cops. I mean, yeah, that is a little bit uh, a little bit grim given the circumstances, but also
0: no, I mean, I I would assume if if it was Floyd saying it that that's what led to this because police do not, you know, they will arrest you for uh, contempt of cop. Yeah. Um, and they will beat you and do whatever they feel like. Yeah. Um, so far, all four officers who were present for the in- incident have been fired, um, but there not, have, have not been any criminal charges.
2: Uh, so No, yes. that's not true anymore. Oh, is
0: that, have there been criminal charges? Yes,
2: the uh, one who actually did the neck stomping has been brought up on third degree murder charges. Uh, oh, I think there's a solid case to be made that it should be murder two, but given the police state we live in, I'll take what I can get.
0: Now, what's the difference between murder one and murder two in in Minnesota? Uh,
2: I believe it's just... Or
0: murder two and murder three.
2: Uh, I believe it's just, um, uh, murder two ha- uh, requires, um, intent to kill. Which, given that gotcha. he was standing on the guy's neck for three minutes after he stopped moving, I think there's a pretty solid case for it.
1: And the guy also has a history of complaints of police brutality and other, other um, use of force, which was, in my opinion, probably most reasonable people's opinion, unjustified. But, uh, you know, he's a cop, so... He can do anything. Yep. And Across this you, uh,
0: really calls back to what we were talking about in our last episode with qualified immunity. Yes. Um, and make no mistake, qualified immunity is why this sort of thing can happen.
2: Yeah. You'll note that uh, you do not hear these ten- these types of stories about um, about private police for our uh, private security forces murdering their clients. The reason why you do not is because if they did, then they would get prosecuted, they would get sued, and they would never have any customers ever again. And yet, we still see it happening by, um... by government police. And the reason why you see the difference is left as an exercise to the listener.
1: I've got a question for you guys. Um, I have a generally pretty strong policy of violence is bad and should be avoided at all costs. Uh, I kind of feel like this is one of those situations where violence is justified and the only way to affect change, but I don't know exactly why that is. How do you feel about the, you know, indiscriminate rioting and burning of buildings? Like, specifically, the police one is okay, because that is a police building, but that is not, by any stretch of the imagination, the only... Uh, place that has been targeted, burned, and looted in these cities.
0: Yeah. I mean, my policy is that, uh, you know, burning and looting, um, the non-police buildings at least, is not helpful. Um, is If you had the perfect protest, that wouldn't happen. So if you're going to ask me should they or shouldn't they do that, I would say they shouldn't. But it's also kind of a side effect of having an effective protest is that there's chaos and that's the sort of thing that happens in chaos. So um, I don't, I don't think it's, there's really much point to focusing on that or saying that these protests are somehow or letting it, letting it reflect poorly on the protesters. If um, you know, some people are doing things that we would rather they didn't.
2: Yeah. I, I, well, think I don't if it reflects, uh, I, I do think I agree with you, I think it would be better, both strategically and morally, if, they, if the protests were more organized and the uh, violence, insofar as there was violence, was specifically targeting uh, exclusively police property. Um, I'm specifically thinking of the Boston Tea uh, Party, where the tea, which was dumped in the harbor, was the only property that was destroyed and none was looted, aside from a single padlock that was the uh, private property of the captains of one of the ships and was replaced within 24 hours by the tea partiers. Um, So I think that that form of protest is probably going to be more effective and is certainly more... Uh, morally righteous, but I also have a lot of trouble, like, put it this way, if you were to rank order all the violence that ever happened on the scale of most condemnable to least condemn- condemnable,
1: this would be on the more righteous side of that scale. I'm, I'm more concerned about, like, is it effective? Because it seems to me that you need a lot of people very angry fucking up the system in order to get changes from some of these people and a fair number of people are not going to go out there and uh, destroy police buildings just because they're concerned for justice. But you can get a lot more buy-in if some of these people get bribed by the ability to smash and grab things as well. And I think it might be worth recruiting those in, in certain situations be like, yeah, you know what? We're going to go looting because we need, your help too if we can swell our numbers by 50% that's worth it in this case
2: yeah i mean i don't yeah, i'm skeptical yeah i don't think these looters are going to be able to successfully overturn the united states government um so no. i think the ability of the people opposed to them being uh to make political hay by just saying oh these aren't principal protesters, they're just a mob who are just in it for, uh, violence and looting. I, I think that's probably going to do more harm to the cause in the long run than, uh, if it was better organized, but I, that's a... It's counterfactual, so it's uh, delightfully unfalsifiable, as counterfactuals always are.
1: I think to scare and uh, shake up the system, you have to have a lot of chaos, as Wes said. And when you do have enough chaos, you are going to have people that come and take advantage of it for the looting anyway. So I think it's unavoidable and not... Like, it shouldn't be the goal, but I think it is an acceptable cost to putting this sort of pressure on the system
0: yeah i I think if if this was a protest that had been planned for months with with um organizers and people really getting together um to what to coordinate well then they should not plan on looting and they should probably try to discourage that but given that these were spontaneous protests that just sort of erupted after this incident i don't think there's any way to stop it
2: I do want to say, because this is important, uh, it looks like that the Supreme Court is going to be reviewing qualified immunity, which I think, as a doctrine, is almost certainly if it was overturned, you would not see these sorts of events with anything remotely like the frequency you do see them. And that decision was made before these incidents. They've been percolating for a long time, so...
0: Uh, yeah. Now, from what I understand, they haven't actually granted Sir yet, right? But yeah. It, it looks like they're going to. Yeah.
2: Um. So I, I, I am, like, I, I'm generally fairly cynical about the ability of protest to bring about change. So yeah, I, like, I agree with what you're saying, Inyash, about. Protests getting more attention if they have more people there, and one way you can get more people there is by implicitly bribing them by, uh, by not condemning looting. But I like even if you do go from say a thousand people to five thousand people or whatever, I, I'm not sure that that'll actually make that much difference in whether or not the policy gets changed. Because, like, ultimately, we know what's causing these sorts of incidents, more or less. It's the doctrine of qualified immunity. We know how to change it, get the Supreme Court to say it's no longer a thing that exists. And then if we can... And, like, I don't see protest, violent or otherwise, doing that much to contribute to those goals that hasn't already been done.
0: All right. One other thing about qualified immunity... Um, the Cato Institute has a post up that we'll link in the show notes, uh, really talking about how it was that qualified immunity led to this uh, sort of thing. And I, I just have a quote here I want to read. So it says, Mr. Floyd's family wants to sue the officer who took his life, they will need to find an existing case from the 8th U.S. Circuit Court of Appeals, holding that a police officer may not kneel on an unresisting suspect's neck, ignoring his pleas for help until he passes out. If no such case happens to be on the books, the case will be summarily tossed out of court. Such is the perversity of the Supreme Court's qualified immunity doctrine. And we'll see how that plays out, because apparently there have been criminal charges, and qualified immunity applies to criminal charges as well. Um, So we'll see if if there's any Supreme Court action on this before it comes up, or if uh, the case against this cop uh, makes it to to trial
2: um but hopefully that's going to change and uh while we're discussing libertarian leaning think tanks and um other related organizations i believe the institute for justice has put out an open uh apparently i can't words today either the institute for Mm -hmm. justice has put out an open letter um to uh, uh Floyd George's family saying essentially that if they want to sue the police officers involved, they will represent them for free.
1: So I I have a thing. Do either of you guys have uh, significant protest action happening where you live?
0: I've seen some protests planned. I haven't seen anything
2: really happening.
1: Uh, I live in Fairfax County, which I
2: am not certain, but I am would not be surprised. Well, no, Northern Virginia has a lot of immigrants. Uh, no, I haven't. Uh, mostly because I live in a very white bred area. Um, it so has I- a fairly high rate of immigrants, but it's just uh, white people
1: and immigrants. So yeah,
0: I mean, there's a lot of general protesting that happens in Philadelphia.
2: So yeah.
1: I have. I live in uh, Denver, and I'm pretty proud of my city right now for having a lot of protests, and two nights ago, they got violent. There was some burning, not like of buildings, but there was burning in dumpsters. There was one car that was torched. There was a judicial building here, was vandalized. And uh, today, the the state or, state or the city, I'm not sure exactly. I know it's at least the city because I live within the city limits and got the text saying, we have a curfew now from 8 p.m. to 5 a.m. today and tomorrow, and the National Guard is being called out. And on the one hand, I think this is great. On the other hand, like, I'm not sure what exactly the protesters want the Denver government to do. Um, And I, I like the whole putting pressure on the system, but looking at it from the Denver mayor's point of view, like, what exactly can he do? I had a friend suggest on Facebook that it might be a great idea for someone to create a sort of ISO style standards. um, Like, uh, I'm not sure if people are familiar. ISO is an industrial standards organization. Yeah. uh, That if uh, an industry wants to, or if a company wants to, they can be certified as following the standards of this group, and that allows them to put that label on their thing. But an ISO-type thing for uh, police departments where they can be certified by an outside organization as... ...following best procedures or not, and there isn't anything like that exists, but that might not be a bad idea if someone were to fire that up, and when there were protests like this, at the very least, protesters could say things like, we will continue to riot until the city agrees to sign on to and meet all the requirements of the police ISO system, which could require things like uh, police being held liable and maybe suspended immediately when they're charged with police brutality rather than just getting to continue brutalizing people. And maybe don't
2: hire police officers that have previously had 13 complaints filed against them, including two murders. That too. Yeah.
0: Yeah, I don't know that there's really a need for a a standardization of that kind of thing. Um, Good protests will have specific demands. Um, I know that Black Lives Matter in particular Um, usually has a list of specific demands they want when they stage a protest.
1: I don't know if there's any demands of the Denver people. They're just angry people out there.
0: Yeah, from what I understand, the protests... um, And and this is one reason I think violence is much less justified in non-Minneapolis protests, because I, I think the protests going on around the country in other places are in solidarity with the Minneapolis protesters. Mm-hmm. So I think they have a uh, heightened duty I guess to make sure nothing they do reflects badly on the people in who are protesting in Minneapolis since this is their issue so I don't i i I don't think there's any real demands being made of of localities other than Minneapolis here but I might be wrong
1: I think in general there should be major demands made for complete police reform the culture that most police stations have is absolutely horrific for standard society oh yeah okay then i guess the final thing i had was uh i think to me the major difference between the COVID protests and these protests is that in the COVID protests neither side wanted a fight they just wanted to uh, you know have a display of anger whereas with these protests both sides i believe were brawling for or itching for a fight at least one side was
0: the covid protesters i think wanted to fight but they didn't want to fight with the police they wanted to fight with the legislature
2: also these protesters are like actual grassroots whereas i'm given to understand that there's a lot of astroturfing going on in the uh lockdown protests and uh and astroturfing for people who don't know is um when you have like an organization with some sort of national presence um that wouldn't normally be considered grassroots uh turning out a bunch of people who look like they're grassroots protesters and just like astroturf is fake grass astroturf protests are protests that look like they're grassroots but actually aren't um i haven't independently verified that um so take it with a grain of salt, but I have heard that that's going on.
0: But hey, in America, money is speech, so no problem.
2: I mean, that's just literally true, but we can, that's a discussion for a different bonus (laughs) episode.
0: Uh, Well, I actually am uh, surprised to hear you speaking negatively about astroturfing, because I feel like that would have been one of the things that's uh, sort of an implication of, you know, the idea that if free speech is a thing, then corporations get it too, and they can pay for whatever speech they want
2: yeah i mean that's true as a matter of law but it's still kind of skeezy i wouldn't advocate like if you start an astroturf protest you should be put in jail i i will defend it in that sense but as i think xkcd said if the best defense you have for your behavior is that it's not literally illegal then you're still an asshole all
0: right fair enough um, One other thing I wanted to mention about the uh, protests, and this leads us into our next story, is uh, President Trump, in his classy-as-usual response, made a tweet calling the protesters thugs, saying he's going to send in the National Guard, calling the mayor of Minneapolis weak for not shutting down the protests, and uh saying when the looting starts the shooting starts and twitter decided that his tweet violated their terms of service um and put a lot of restrictions on it didn't delete it because they said they found it was in the public interest to keep it accessible but you have to navigate right to it and uh it won't it won't be coming up in their algorithms or in, in anyone's uh, timelines.
1: And that is just absolutely a call to violence as far as I can tell, right?
0: It certainly sounds that way. I think I think what he was saying was, we are going to shoot people who are looting, um, which you could maybe arguably say that's not telling people other than law enforcement or the, the National Guard to shoot anyone, but it is extremely
2: reckless regardless yeah so his defense was that he wasn't saying that if people are looting they should be shot he's just saying that property crime has a tendency to lead to violent crime but because it's donald fucking trump there's no way that that's what he actually (laughs) meant when he was tweeting so that's definitely not what he meant um so if you want to be a good, responsible rationalist who steel mans his opponents, la-di-da-di-da, that's technically the standard, but also seriously, fuck this guy.
1: I don't think it's responsible at all to do that level of steel when you know that's not true. Like, there's a difference between steel manning and helping people lie. Yeah, that's true.
0: All right, and that takes us to our next story, which is another... Uh, fight that Donald Trump has been having with Twitter. And Eniash, did you submit this one? I did, indeed. Okay, tell us about this.
1: Okay, so Trump spouted his typical bullshit. Uh, This was actually before the riots, I believe, saying that vote-by-mail is total fraud, Uh, all your mail ballots are going to be stolen and replaced, and no one can trust any sort of election with vote-by-mail. It's all going to be a stolen election. And so Twitter attached a fact-check warning to that, Uh, which interestingly... Like, in my opinion, it looks to be a response to the uh, Russian activities from the last election because the official uh, fact-check warning uh, included this link to their, to their guidelines saying, you may not use Twitter services for the purpose of manipulating or interfering in elections or other civic processes. This includes posting or sharing content that may suppress participation or mislead people about when, where, or how to participate in a civic process. Which, first of all, I did not know Twitter was doing that. That's... Uh, I'm not sure if that's good or bad on the surface. It feels like a pretty good thing to not allow people to, you know, tell others, hey, if you want to vote, go over here. And that turns out not to be where you can vote. But anyways, um, they put that warning on his tweet and Trump had a hissy fit, as he does, and said that he signed an executive order saying that we should or not we specifically, but uh, his administration is going to look into how they can change Section 230 to no longer allow, no longer give protections to platforms uh, who voice other people's opinions, voice other people's stuff. Uh, which, I obviously he does not realize this, but Section 230 is what makes most of the internet as we know it possible. It is why you can comment on articles. It is why Twitter and Facebook will just allow people to post whatever they want. Because Section 230 is the thing that says, you know, basically these services are treated as a giant cork board and people stick stuff onto it. And the person who made the post is responsible for what they wrote, not the person who created the corkboard board and put it up in the town square. Uh, if that's removed, then anyone who put that cork board up could be held liable for anything that's tacked onto it. Or in this particular case, Twitter, Facebook, or uh, any news, any site that allows comments could be held legally liable for anything that anyone says on their platforms. Which in practice would mean that all comments would get shut down and that people, that these services would have to vet every single thing ever posted, which means they would just shut down as well.
0: Yeah, that's definitely not going to happen. And if it did, nobody would let Donald Trump say anything anywhere.
1: Yeah, exactly. So
0: I don't know what he's trying to pull.
1: It's, it's fucking crazy. I, I wanted to bring this out not only because it you know shows how ridiculous this man is, uh, but the fact that Section 230 is so important kind of makes me wonder, you know what, would the Internet be improved if uh, Twitter and Facebook weren't a thing anymore and comments weren't allowed? Like, if the only way to communicate with people was once again to start up the old email lists or to uh, have your own shitty blog where you place your own shitty opinions, as I I say this as a person with his own shitty blog, where he places his (laughs) own shitty opinions. Same. Um, Yeah, that I, I honestly think that may be a better world so i'm not actually 100 percent against this
0: well i'm not very partial to those arguments i think social media you you get out of it what you put into it um i think social media has been very good to me i don't i'm not i'm i have a twitter but i don't check it because i think Twitter's stupid um but facebook i think is great i have you know a very curated list of friends whose posts i read um i use it to organize events back when events were a thing (laughs) and uh generally use it to uh keep in touch with people um you know i use now other things like discord for that uh but i think facebook still has its place and can be used responsibly
2: yeah and if i understand the legalities correctly uh discord would not be spared if Something were to happen no. to Section 230 of the Communications Decency Act.
0: Oh, no, not at all.
2: You have one person using Discord to plan, like, a heist or a terrorist attack or whatever uh, movie plot. And I mean, that's the service gone. And I do think that would be quite bad. Um,
0: yeah, I mean, repealing Section 230 would just be just, just, there would be no internet.
2: Yeah.
1: Yeah. Honestly, there probably wouldn't even be blogs anymore because someone else has to host your blog. Yeah. The only exception would be for people who bought their own servers and had them running twenty four seven within their own homes. Yeah. Because yeah, that then then you are responsible for your own speech on your own server that you've connected to the internet. Yeah, till someone sues your
0: ISP. Yeah. But anyway, it's a very stupid idea, and Trump is very stupid for yeah. proposing it. And I I don't think it requires that much uh, discussion beyond that.
2: And. The what what I find most confusing about this and of course Trump is just a fucking idiot is always a valid explanation, but my understanding is that um there's not really any particular partisan bent to uh vote in mail or uh yeah, vote by mail. So like he, does, he won't even get an electoral advantage out of it. So why? Yeah, it's, it's very weird because Democrats
0: and Republicans both seem to be convinced that vote-by-mail favors Democrats. And I think it's because high turnout elections favor Democrats, and vote-by-mail increases turnout. But when you look at actual vote-by-mail, there really isn't a partisan lean to it.
2: Yeah.
0: Uh, but everyone thinks there is. So... That, I mean, that explains Trump's reaction and why Democrats are always trying to get more of it and Republicans are always trying to get less of it. But if people just, you know, looked at the actual information available, I feel like this could be resolved very easily.
2: Well, that does explain it because looking at actual information that's available that didn't come off of Twitter is not something that the current president is capable
1: of. But it is on
0: Twitter. People are tweeting it. They could just read the tweets.
1: It might be yeah. fake news if you didn't hear it on Fox and Friends.
0: That's true. It is coming
1: from communists like Vox.
0: All right. And last Trump story. Uh, not, I promise. No, nope, but I nope. want
2: one more Trump story nope. after this one.
0: Not last Trump story. <laughs> yes. okay. this is... Not the last Trump story.
2: The, the, the last Trump story, though, is absolutely hilarious, and I promise it'll be worth it.
0: Okay, but this is a story that I wanted to talk about because I think it is important and I think it's kind of getting lost with everything else going on, Um, which is that Trump recently fired four different inspectors general. And uh, inspector generals are basically like the internal affairs officer for a federal agency. So they're the ones providing oversight – and their job is to find anything that's off, look for irregularities and any anyone doing anything shady and investigate it. And in particular, the inspector general for the State Department was fired. And he was in the middle of investigating Mike Pompeo for misusing resources uh, for personal gain and also investigating Trump... Um, declaring a bullshit state of emergency in order to sell weapons to Saudi Arabia when that had not been approved by Congress and the law says it has to be approved by Congress Um, and it's it's pretty clear that Trump just fired this guy because he was looking into bad things that the Trump administration had done and there's really nothing anyone can do about it
1: which, yeah, technically that's legal, right?
0: It is. Yeah, technically it's legal to fire the Inspector General. And Democrats, really, their only card on this sort of thing was impeachment, and they already tried that. I don't think they're going to do it again.
2: There's a, another podcast that I'm a big fan of. Um, uh, it's called All the President's Lawyers, and it features a, a First Amendment lawyer and former federal prosecutor. Um uh ken white talking about uh president trump's legal issues and um all the chicanery going on around that uh it's very good and anyone who's interested in a in pretty much weekly updates about this uh issue i recommend you subscribe to that podcast um He's, yes. And he's unsurprisingly,
0: been, um, they never run out of material. Yeah. Uh
2: yeah, yeah, they have been following this and um several other related um stories where Trump does something that's technically in the president's power but he but normally there are norms that say no you can't just fire all the attorneys general whenever they do something you don't like but of course Trump doesn't give a fuck about norms because he's a horrible trash goblin
0: yeah and it was really interesting they go back they go back on their podcast and talk about when Obama fired an inspector general um, for kind of shady reasons and he got a lot of pushback from his own party and sort of learned his lesson and never tried it again and that just shows the that Trump is not normal um, that that He's, he's already fired four of them and his party doesn't seem to give one single shit. Okay, so now on to our last Trump story.
2: Okay, so I'm going to do my best to tell this story without devolving into a fit of giggles, but I make no promises. So uh, there's this, um, this uh, hashtag never Trump former a Republican political consultant a member of the Republican Death Star named Rick Wilson. Uh, He's written two books, uh, Everything Trump Touches Dies and um, Running Against the Devil and uh, they're quite good. I'm actually considering doing a, um, entering reviews of them for Scott Alexander's book review contest. Um, Oh, Nice. And uh, he and a few other Never Trump Republicans have started a, uh, I think it's a PAC, uh, but I'm not sure, called the Lincoln Project. Uh, And basically their mission is to ensure that uh, Trump does not win re-election. And uh, it was... Pretty uh, early on in the project's life, and uh, they are not a partisan—they aren't one of the two main partisan parties uh, that they're affiliated with. So they were a little bit short on funding, um, but they put together this attack ad, uh, which were Wilson's specialty when he was uh, actively working as a political consultant, called Morning in America— Uh, spelled with a U and it's basically a dark reflection of President Reagan's morning in America ad, No you uh, that a lot of people credit uh, for him winning re-election in 1984 Uh, it's basically talking about coronavirus how the bailouts were basically worthless, how the reason we're in this mess is because Trump denied that there was a, a crisis looming And so they have this ad. It's a fantastic ad. Uh, I really recommend you watch it, especially immediately after watching the original Reagan ad, if you want to uh, see just a masterpiece of the genre. And they weren't sure where they wanted to air it, because they were very limited on funds. So what they did... Uh, they, they had a, a lunch meeting, and what they decided on was they were going to run it once. And the time they were going to run it was uh, immediately after the cut to commercial during, I believe, Hannity. And the one place they were going to run it was in Washington, D.C., And you never, (laughs) ever run political ads in Washington, D.C. because there are no persuadable voters in Washington. But (laughs) there is one person who just can't help tweeting whenever someone says something mean about him. So at 1 (laughs) a.m., Trump starts raving about the traitors at the um at the Lincoln project and how he's so angry at Fox News for letting people say mean things about him on their network. And for five thousand dollars these guys got more than a
1: million views on this ad. Which is which is just yes. Funny. Uh it's basically exactly the same thing Trump did, just getting, when, when he ran in 2016, getting free advertising. Yes. Uh, by being, yeah, by being outrageous and getting other people to repeat yeah. what he said.
2: So, uh, um, since that happened, they've gotten a lot more funding. They've been running great ads. He actually got the manager for Trump's reelection campaign. Uh, not fired, but exiled uh, because they ran a campaign about the lavish purchases he was making on the Trump American Express card. Um, hmm. So, yeah, they are doing fantastic work. Uh, if you don't mind, like, they are they are masters of the dark arts. Uh, I mentioned I was thinking about um, reviewing... Uh, Rick Wilson's books for the Slate Star Codex contest. Like, my opening hook will be uh, talking about, like, the One Ring from the Lord of the Rings and Sith Holocrons and so on, where whenever you go after knowledge of the dark arts, that knowledge will corrupt you, and you will become a practitioner of the darkness yourself. And in that spirit, I emphatically recommend running against the devil and everything trump touches dies um
0: that's why i recommend influence science and practice. yeah uh
2: so if you are confident enough in your uh in your skills as a rationalist to expose yourself to that kind of thing without um getting mind killed too badly i really recommend you um check out their youtube channel uh check out rick's books um He's also doing a podcast uh, with him and Molly Jongfast, since they're both editors-at-large at the Daily Beast. Um, so if you just kind of want to see how the sausage gets made in electoral politics, uh, checking that out is, uh, is a great way to do it. I've really enjoyed learning about this new industry that I kind of knew in a, a vague since existed, but I didn't know just like what was going on there and I'm glad I learned because it's quite hilarious. Alright. Well,
0: that brings us to happy news and regular listeners may uh, notice that our podcast this week is a little late, Uh, but that uh, can be good news because that means we get to report on something awesome that just happened a couple hours ago. And David, do you want to tell us about that?
2: Uh, yeah. So um, uh, Elon Musk, who has been doing quite well at capitalism lately, uh, took a um, big pile of capitalism, piled it up at Cape Canaveral, and uh, set it on fire to launch two people into space. <laughs> <laughs>
1: a great way of putting it yeah and
0: uh this is notable um because it is the first time that any private space shuttle has taken anyone to space and also because it's the first time in nine years anyone from america has gone into space
1: uh well that well anyone
2: yeah, launched from it's, American it's soil the first america. time that Uh, They've gone on American vessels built in America and launched from America. We've sent astronauts up on Soyuz before, but um, obviously those are Russian vessels that were launched from Russia. Right.
0: Uh, So America's back in the space game.
2: Hell yeah! And we did it with capitalism. That's how we do most of the things. Uh, So... There was I believe in the early 2000s a um, a uh, proposal to do to essentially make the same products that SpaceX has made that's allowed them to to actually send up these manned flights and the but using traditional NASA government production chains and the Estimated budget for that project was something like 32 billion when it was canceled, and the uh, contract that SpaceX got uh, to build the um, the I think Crew Dragon it's called uh, was for two billion and change. So, Damn. yeah, uh, that like so don't get me wrong. Of all the arguments for having a government, the space program is by far the best one. But I would rather have space for a tenth of the cost, Uh, so let's please keep as much capitalism in the process as we can.
0: Alright, hard to argue with that today. Alright, so other happy news we have. About two weeks ago, the states of Pennsylvania and Minnesota both ended child marriage. Uh, And this is something uh, not too many people know about. But most states, 46 of them continuing, uh, have laws allowing people under age 18 to get married. Um, Most of the time they need parental consent or they need to be emancipated. Um, But they they still allow it. And there's an organization called Unchained at Last who is – uh, which is run by a former child bride um, whose goal is to uh, just have child marriage declared uh, illegal in, in all 50 states. Um, and it's really through their efforts that Pennsylvania and Minnesota ended it. Um, Delaware and New Jersey ended it in 2018, largely through their efforts. It's a New Jersey-based organization. Um, and they're doing really great work. Um, they make a really compelling case that marriage under 18 shouldn't be allowed, that it tends to trap mostly young women in these awful repressive marriages
1: that they're forced into. Can I lodge a small protest here? Sure. So I think... Calling this child marriage seems kind of dark artsy to me, and like I don't want to actually protest against this because I think marriage in general is really <laughs> dumb, and... <laughs> <laughs> and really, if we were going to make it legal to anyone, we should make sure that's it's after, you know, a lot of informed consent stuff goes down and they're at least 21 and so forth. Like, mm-hmm. if you're not old enough to drink yet, there's no way you're old enough to get married. Yeah. So I, I don't have any issue with the age of marriage being raised. But on the other hand, like, calling it child marriage, it, it invokes images of, like, nine-year-old brides where in – these cases, it's generally either people who are already emancipated, which means legally we consider them adults who can make their own decisions.
0: In some ways. Or,
1: yeah, or they're like, you know, it, it, it's like they're 16. They're people who are possibly out there getting pregnant with their boyfriends anyway, and like, it's not, it's not the same, when they say unchained at last, I think of like a nine-year-old being freed from the basement where she was married to some old pervert, as opposed to like, a 16-year-old and a 17-year-old getting married because they're idiot kids out in Yeehaw, Arkansas. Yeah,
0: well, if you look at the way um, underage marriages actually happen, it's almost always much closer to that first situation. Um, and it's mostly, uh, in in the vast majority of cases, religious, where the it's a young woman marrying an older man who is being forced into the marriage by her family or community?
1: So that is definitely disgusting. But there's also like a lit lower age of sixteen.
0: Uh, some states, I think, go as low as fourteen. Hmm. Oh. Um, but also, I just I don't object to the term child marriage here because where whether we consider consider someone a child is very context dependent. hmm Um, and I you know I don't think there's any specific age you could say that person's a child and that's not I think it depends on what you're talking about and I think when it comes to marriage um, and and romantic and sexual relationships in general um, I, I, I do think of 16 and 17 year olds as children
2: yeah yeah um,
0: and our law already looks at them as children in a lot of ways at that age and I don't think that this mischaracterizes what's going on to call a child marriage.
2: Yeah, I I in general I don't really like defining those sorts of thresholds by age cuz like I've met 30-year-olds that I wouldn't trust to make important decisions for themselves and <laughs> yeah. I I've also met 14-year-olds that were very mature and responsible like they're when it comes to marriage and sex they're biological considerations that make somewhat more sense but I I, I I feel like in an ideal world we would come up with some way to make these sorts of decisions that aren't based off of how many times the earth has gone around the sun since they were born
0: yeah I mean in an ideal situation our marriage laws would be
2: we, we would you know, ban all marriage. That
0: it's. <laughs> well, that it's. Yes. Certainly <laughs> that it's easier to leave. Yeah. So, you know, getting married wouldn't really be that much of an issue because you could just not be married if you didn't want to. Yeah. But we don't have those laws, so I think this is, uh you know, a step in the right direction. Just a
1: step forward. Yeah. Like, I agree. This is. The, the higher we can raise the age of marriage in all states, in all cases, the happier I am. I just. Want to lodge a protest against the wording? Yeah.
2: Inyash, I feel like you're just trying to shadow ban marriages, though. <laughs>
1: <Yes>. <laughs> yeah, it's really true.
2: Your beef here is with marriage.
1: I'll get yeah. there eventually.
0: Yeah. All right. And uh, final piece of happy news. Uh, listeners may recall that one of my soldiers that I put out for a troop deployment a few episodes ago was that I wanted to see more drive-in movie theaters, and uh, so this good news is that new jersey has a film festival called the lighthouse film festival and instead of canceling this year they are going they're converting it to all drive-ins so they're going to hold the festival and they're contacting all the uh the drive-in movie theaters in the general area and they're going to do the film festival that way i think that is awesome
2: yeah this is is one of the greatest things i've I was about to say it's one of the greatest things I've heard all day, but that's not true, because I did watch the launch, so...
1: Um,
2: <laughs> I know. Any other, yeah, any other day, this would be, like, easily top five, but, uh... Yeah, this is great. I love you drive-ins. They're
1: massively underrated, and the more drive-ins we have, the better. What... So this just occurred to me, since this primed my COVID-19 thinking, um... If there is no major spike in COVID nineteen cases in two weeks in Minneapolis and other high protest cities, are you guys going to update more towards COVID nineteen is not very transmissible in the summer?
0: I've already updated pretty hard in the direction of COVID nineteen is not very transmissible outdoors.
1: Yeah. Okay.
0: Um, so if it's if there's no spikes, I would I would assume it's because most of these protests are happening outdoors.
1: Yeah, I, I agree. All right. all right. We will see what the future brings because I, I do not anticipate there being a spike in these areas. But we'll see. Yeah. All
0: right. Well, that brings us to troop deployments. As we all know, politics is the mind killer and arguments are soldiers. So in that spirit, we invite each of our three hosts to share a, an argument uh, as a soldier they're sending out onto the field of battle. So this week we'll start with David.
2: Yeah. So my troop deployment is possibly something that we should consider talking about in a full episode, but um, China is being China again. Uh, they are trying to um, trying to pass a quote unquote national security law that would basically um, uh, make it would basically destroy any semblance of democratic governance in Hong Kong. Um, I, I have I've been a huge fan of the Hong Kong protests, uh, but I'm I'm getting to the point where like I'm pretty sure that their cause is completely doomed. Uh, so my second best solution since getting China to leave Hong Kong the fuck alone seems to be off the table, is, God damn it, let people migrate from Hong Kong. This is a total no-brainer. Hong Kongers are extremely well-educated. They're extremely entrepreneurial. They clearly have an incredible respect for democracy. So, like, none of the... Standard arguments for uh, or against immigration even remotely apply to Hong Kongers. So just let them freaking migrate. And the protest or the um, policy proposal that I've seen that I'm by far the biggest fan of is that Britain, because they do still have some obligations under their um, treaty from the original handover, uh, should carve out a chunk of British coastline and turn it into a Hong Kong 2.0 charter city uh, where where any Hong Kongers who want to can, uh, migrate there um, without any of the usual restrictions um and, uh they can just, like have the same laws and policies that they left Hong Kong with when they uh, handed it back to the Chinese and just say that they apply to this chunk of Britain now and then let Hong Kong be Hong Kong. And it will be absolutely amazing for the British economy. I'm extremely confident in predicting that. And,
1: like, that, there's no
2: reason not to do this.
1: <laughs> Hong Kong 2.0 sounds epic as fuck, and I wanted. it I know, instead. right? <laughs> I know in America we have a precedent of uh, allowing people seeking political asylum to come here. Do we not currently let people migrate from Hong Kong? We
2: did, but then, and we said that we weren't going to talk about him again, but Donald fucking Trump (laughs) (laughs) uh, I think it uh, passed, I think it was an executive order saying that we were no longer going to honor the uh, special migratory relationship we had with Hong Kong the fuck was this to appease china or some shit i don't fucking know i i am oh. i've resigned myself to the notion that i am incapable of understanding what passes for a brain in the white house
0: yeah i mean i would wow. guess it's just donald trump's general hostility toward you know foreigners and um and asylum seekers in particular
2: yeah Their skin has more pigmentation than the average glass of milk, so we can't have them coming here to defile our good white women.
0: All right. (laughs) That's David's soldier that he sent out this week. Uh, Eniash, what do you have for us?
1: I saw this on our Discord, and uh, if anyone else is like me, then uh, maybe ten years ago or so, you saw a bunch of videos about how when Disney put out The Lion King... They were actually ripping off um, Kimba the White Lion, an anime from, I think, 30 or 40 years prior from Japan. Um, And I did hear these
0: accusations.
1: Yeah, and I, first of all, was very on board for believing this, even from the get-go, because I hate Disney. Fuck Disney. (laughs) They're a bunch of assholes, (laughs) and they have been ruining American copyright law for a long fucking time. So I, I was already, like, on board. And then I watched the videos, and I was like, wow, this is really persuasive. Holy shit, I can't believe they got away with this. Uh, Well, just, I think it was three days ago at the time of our recording, so either four or five days ago at the point that uh, this is going to go out, uh, there was a video released, a two, more than two hour long video that basically says we were all lied to. And I don't mean just like there were some misrepresentations, I mean like this was the most flat-out blatant lies that when I watched the deconstruction video, I was, like, uh, first of all, appalled that someone could and would get away with this, but also, like, I could see how uh, easy it was to convince me of something, because when you can just make shit up, it's it's pretty easy to, uh, to make a case for something. Uh, but what it all boils down to is uh, The Lion King was not at all, based on Kimba the White Lion. There is very, very little in common with them. Uh, the few things that are similar are basically coincidental. The few cases where it's not, it's because uh, the Kimba property, after The Lion King came out, wanted to cash in on the similarity and so made a um, a follow-up movie that took some cues from The Lion King. Eh, eh. It's, it's just insane. So, first of all, I want everyone to know that the Lion King did not steal stuff from Kimba. Uh, secondly, watch the video if you want to. It's entertaining. It lays out all the cases. And thirdly, this was like an amazing example of someone who put in a shit ton of research in order to make the world more knowledgeable about something. Like, just the amount of time that went into the researching itself is astonishing. And then the amount of time it must have taken to put together a video for basically as as a public service thing, right? I mean, okay, they have a YouTube account. They're going to get some money from this. But uh, it was an amazing amount of research work, and I was really impressed with that too. So, Uh, yeah, I'll have that one. In
2: the spirit of you being able to put together a compelling narrative about any piece of media that has enough content uh, just by... um, nitpicking things, or, uh, not nitpicking, cherry-picking, uh, I'd also recommend people read, uh, Scott Alexander's recent post on Slate Star Codex, uh, My Immortal as Alchemical Allegory, (laughs) uh, which (laughs) argues that, uh, the terrible Harry Potter fanfiction My Immortal is, um is a, uh, allegory for how to create the Philosopher's Stone, and...
0: Yeah, and I gotta tell you, I'm in the tank for it.
2: Honestly, so am I.
0: (laughs) All right. Well, I had a different soldier I was gonna send out, but Eniash, you reminded me that I've been meaning to rant about copyright law. Oh. Mm, So, I'm gonna do that. Guys, copyright law is terrible. Um, and in particular, it is just a complete travesty the length of time that copyrights last for. And this is almost entirely due to Disney as a company pushing for changes to the law to protect their 100-year-old IPs. Um, But right now, copyright law, I think, lasts 35 years past the death of any of the creators. Uh, Intellectual property law, its justification for why it's a law is that it protects what needs to be protecting so people will create things the idea is that people will not create original IPS without some kind of protection that they're able to use and exploit them after they are uh, after they're created so the original laws for copyright patent trademark all had that goal in mind is how can we restrict things as little as possible? to allow people allow these things to be created to create the circumstances under which people will create these things and that original goal seems to have been lost somewhere along the way now it's you know people want to make moral arguments about how it's what's fair what's not fair Um, and we have this ridiculous situation where these copyrights are lasting for hundreds of years Um, which there's absolutely no way you need a copyright to last for over 100 years to inspire someone to create original properties. Um, So I I heavily uh, support any uh, efforts to uh, weaken or uh, specifically lower the time limit on intellectual property protections and specifically copyright.
1: I am absolutely behind you on that. I will say, is a part of a happy news thing. It looks very likely like Disney is going to stop pushing for that, so we might actually get things going into the public domain, specifically Mickey Mouse in 2023, if they are going to, you know, really back off like they oh, appear to have been. That's nice. And then the world will end. <laughs> yeah.
2: Yes. Um,
0: <laughs> because anyone can make Mickey Mouse TV shows and patches and stickers, and my God, it'll be anarchy. Yeah.
1: Yeah. We might as well just pack it in right now. People are going to make mind-killer merchandise stuff a hundred years from now. What? Oh, I
0: I didn't think this would affect me. (laughs) Damn it! I changed my mind! Copyright protections!
1: Well, it'll only affect you 35
2: years after you fake your death. So, I I do want to bring up one thing that's uh, very tangentially related, but hilarious. I read a paper for one of my classes that was arguing that Uh, basically mysticism was a primitive form of intellectual property protection where uh, (laughs) if you had like doctors or or pre pre doctors, pre engineers, whatever who who came up with some sort of invention that they wanted to have intellectual property uh, protection for uh, since they didn't have governments enforcing intellectual property, they just came up with all these mystical rituals where uh, they insisted that you needed to do the entire thing and no one just observing from the outside could possibly get it right. And, uh, um, and uh, concealing the actual functional part in all this mysticism uh, was basically how people um got monopolies on their innovations before we had uh, governmental property rights protections. Uh so that was uh I I'm not sure whether or not it's true, but it is a very hilarious idea, so Yeah.
1: That's that's really cool. Now I want to predestply the tech
2: Yeah, I I mean that's basically the idea behind the tech priests in forty K. So
0: Alright. Well at that mention of forty K our podcast is now over. <laughs> um, we apologize for getting it out late this uh, this time. There were some scheduling difficulties, but I hope you enjoyed our bonus episode. And if you didn't hear it, you should go back and listen to it. Uh, David and I talked about liquid democracy and meandered onto a few other topics. You can now follow us on basically anywhere you can find podcasts. We're on Apple, Google, Pocket Cast, Stitcher, and we have a standalone RSS feed that you can plug into any podcast app. Um, if you loved us or hate us, uh, please leave us a review on whatever service it is you use. And we'll be back uh, probably in a little over a week since we're out late this time. Uh, so please join us uh, next time. Uh, it'll be a different time, but it'll be the same. Rat Channel.
2: Bye. Bye, everyone. All right. Bye.